Hello, this is Father Kelly Edwards from the rectory in Yukon, Oklahoma. I am not any longer in the Holy Land. Uh, the last <clears throat> the last couple days, just the way the schedule worked out, it just wasn't possible to record. So um, I'm certainly going to go talk about day seven and then later day eight, uh, but I am no longer in the Holy Land. We had such a, uh, a blur after the last... The last thing I recorded before this was about the morning of having Mass in the Holy Sepulchre. And honestly, from then on out, it was go, 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 sleep, go, airport, back home. So there wasn't a whole lot of chance to record. But now I think with a little bit of rest, um, even though I'm on a strange jet lag schedule, um, I woke up at 4 o'clock this morning. It's currently 5.20 in the morning, and I'm wide awake. And in fact, I'm my second cup of coffee by now. So might as well do something. So that morning... Back on whatever day it was, Thursday, I suppose, we had done the Via Dolorosa. We had you know, gone through the traditional route of the Stations of the Cross, where the Lord carried his cross from the Antonio Fortress, where he was sentenced by Pilate, through the streets of Jerusalem, out of the city to Golgotha. And then later we had, you know, later we had Mass at the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, which is built over, well, over the tomb over the Rock of Calvary, over the place where he was anointed, um, and then also over the place where St. Helena found the true cross and other things associated with the crucifixion, which found them a cistern back behind. So this whole area that was um, that garden, you know, Joseph's tomb, all of Joseph Arimathea's tomb, all of that stuff, all this one church. So after that, after that morning, which began at 3 a.m., uh, I've seen lots of threes and fours and fives in the morning lately. After that, we went back to the hotel for some breakfast that we hadn't had yet. Um, you know, it, it was kind of like going out to breakfast after having gone to Easter Vigil Mass. You had this big, grand experience. Then it's time to go back, rejoice in the resurrection, because in the place we, of course, celebrated Easter Mass. And then we went out uh, to breakfast a little bit slower of a day, and maybe for some rest. So after resting at the hotel, we did head back out, got on the bus um, about 10.15 in the morning, which is one of those days where 10.15 doesn't seem that late, but looking back, we'd already done so much. The day was uh, a day well accomplished already by 10.15 in the morning. But we got on the bus. We headed to the church of St. Anne, which is the birthplace of Mary, so Anne and Joachim being the grand the grandparents of Jesus, the parents of Mary. So there's a church built over the traditional home of Anne and Joachim, which is, of course, a cave, as everything was in that day. Um, you know, the the town of Nazareth that's built up now, or you know any of these areas now that looks like you know houses, neighborhoods, buildings, everything, massive population, not anywhere close to what it was. It's not even like these were big towns that everyone, you know, that was full of, you know, ground level shops and homes, you know, wooden built stuff, whatever. These areas of Jesus's family are literally a couple hundred people living in caves in a small, very, very small town center, um, villages at the most. Um, so it's, it throws us off a bit to see uh, what is there now and to, it, it's hard to really think back, but Here's this cave in a hillside next to kind of a natural spring area that is the house where Mary was born, where the mother of Jesus was born. 
Of course, there's a church over that very holy place. Um, it turns out to be um, a crusader era church that was not destroyed by the Muslims later, and actually a very well-designed church that has great interior acoustics. So it's tradition for people to, for groups to to sing a song in the middle of the church because it, uh, the reverb is absolutely excellent in there. So we sang the Salve Regina and I think some other songs um, and really enjoyed, I think, it, I think at one point we stopped singing for a moment and there's five, six, seven seconds of reverb. It's absolutely beautiful. They sang the Salve Regina, explored the church, went and prayed in the place where Mary was born. And being the grandmother of Jesus, it was appropriate to uh, pray for my grandparents. So know that I prayed for you all there, if you're listening to this, um, and, and for all grandparents, of course. Next to the Church of St. Anne is the Pool of Bethesda, or the remains of it, um, which was a place that Jesus healed a man. It was the place where the man complains that, you know, I'd love to be healed, but every time the water is stirred up, someone gets down there before me, and I've been there for 35 years. In this particular place, Jesus does not tell him to go wash in the pool as he does sometimes. Obviously, washing the pool is a difficult part for him. But instead, Jesus heals him and sends him on his way without involving the pool. This is significant because the pool of Bethesda, this area was uh, archaeologically seems to have been, because of course it's all excavated there, archaeologically seems to have been, I suppose, a minor pagan shrine. Uh, an area of the, some god of some pagan god of healing, and the idea was that that pagan god was the one who was stirring up the waters and, and healing people. So Jesus, by not sending him down there, by simply healing him and sending him on his way, is showing that no, 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 you don't need this this pagan god, this uh, this magical water to be healed. I am God. I am the Son of God. I heal you in faith without needing uh, any of that pagan nonsense. So he sends them. He sends them on his way from there without needing to wash in the pool of Bethesda, which is this pagan place, uh, to show God's primacy over that stuff. Next, we went to uh, back, sort of back into the city of Jerusalem. We went to the Western Wall, or sometimes called the Wailing Wall. Most people are familiar with the idea of this place, or at least they've seen some picture or some reference to it. It's the place. It's the Western Wall of the Temple, the one that was closest to the Holy of Holies when the temple was up on top of the Temple Mount. There's a mosque there now. So the Jews believe that because this wall is the closest to where the Holy of Holies, where God resided, was, now God's presence is in this wall. Um, in Almost in a way as if Catholics would um, you know, show reverence to the tabernacle in a church. Not not exactly the same. Um, the, the sense in which God is present to them in that way is not the same as the Eucharist, but it, it's, it's similar. Um, it has a similar uh, aspect to it and a similar practice. Now, anyone there, much to my surprise, is allowed to go and pray at the wall. Um, I wasn't, I, I figured it would just be something we could go or see from a distance, but because we weren't Jewish, we wouldn't be allowed in which lots of things are like that. The Jews uh, are very particular about who can do what. So I wasn't expecting to be able to go up to the wall, but apparently you can, uh, as long as, well, first off, there was security to get in, like airport style security, everything out of your pocket, the metal detector kind of stuff. Um, obviously, that is a very sensitive area, and the Jews, I think with good reason, 
are uh, very wary we're wary of a possible attack there so uh, we go to the metal detector get in there um, it actually had a kind of a carnival type atmosphere apparently you could have bar mitzvahs and sort of things there so there's we walk in there's a band playing some balloons get released there's all these groups of um, you know, obviously a young man carrying the Torah scrolls surrounded by groups of his friends and parents, uh, which is not something I expected. It added uh, a bit of levity to, to a place that I expected to be just simple, you know, not simple, but to be a, a serious place of prayer. Uh, but it had a very joyous atmosphere too, uh, which those go together, seriousness and prayer and joy in God. Uh, those things are not at all separate from each other. Anyways, we go over towards the wall. And for men, all you had to do was have a hat on of some sort. Uh, some guy, they had a, literally a, a basket of yarmulkes that if you didn't have a hat for guys, you could put one on so you could go up and pray at the wall. And I did go up and pray. I did uh, go put my hand on the wall in the usual manner. Um, I didn't do the, the bowing that you traditionally see uh, the Orthodox Jews do, but I did have my hand on the wall. I did pray and offer the um, intentions I brought on the pilgrimage there at uh, the Wailing Wall, the Western Wall of the Temple. And then we had some time to kind of explore that area um, underneath kind of one of the side buildings uh, is, I suppose, a tunnel that they've excavated. Rather large. It kind of felt like an airport terminal, honestly. Um, that is a wall that continues. It's, it's even closer to where the Holy of Holies was. And so it's, I suppose, an even more sacred place. Um, but you're allowed to go in there and um, certainly very respectful of those who are in there praying. Uh, it's as our tour guide said, it's where the really serious praying is happening. Um, it was kind of out in the wall that you can see kind of out in the daylight and you know, the uh, uncovered area. Certainly people were praying, but it wasn't perhaps as serious, but then going inside in this tunnel over on the side, um, the really serious praying was happening in there, you might say. Um, and it was fascinating, of course, because, well, obviously prayer is important, but the fact that it was just one more layer in this multi-layered stone city, um, they had discovered this tunnel, but, well, I guess there were more tunnels even more beyond that that are discovered, um, but that level that we were on, our guide was telling us was about 100, 150 feet above the ground level, the dirt level of the city of Jerusalem. So there is almost unfathomably layer upon layer upon layer of old buildings, old construction, archways, tunnels, all sorts of stuff that used to run down next to the temple, ground level next to the temple. But over centuries from the first century onward, you know, 20 centuries, it's been built up and things have been destroyed and rebuilt and different stuff going on. Um, the tunnels that the tunnels that we were in for this place of more serious prayer are the underside of massive arches that had been built. Um, I forget in which century, uh, but to provide access for Muslim pilgrims to go uh, into the Temple Mount when they're with the, for the mosque on top. Except that the top of the temple, the Temple Mount, is significantly higher than the valley floor next to which the temple is built. So these were massive arches, and they were already built upon things that were already pretty high up off the floor, off the, the, you know, the dirt ground level of Jerusalem. 
So it's really, especially to our Western Western eyes who are used to not very old things, just this unfathomable layering of history and, well, also for the exploratory interest, um, I, I would love, it would be so cool to get down there and see, because, you know, there are access points and tunnels for much of that stuff. Probably some of it isn't accessible anymore, but um, just to think of centuries and centuries of buildings and streets and tunnels that are underneath what you can see now. Absolutely fascinating. So after the Western Wall, we did go back to the hotel, and graciously we had a free afternoon. We were back at the hotel, and our next um, obligation for the pilgrimage purposes was at 7 p.m., so pretty big chunk of time. Uh, Obviously, the wise thing to do would have been to take a significant nap, having been up since 3 o'clock this morning, and then be ready for what the evening activity was. But I'm not always very wise. So instead, well, what I thought was going to happen was to go out to lunch, have a nice lunch, then come back and take a nap. Seemed easy enough. So we asked our tour guide, you know, where's some good places to eat around here? said, oh, there's a pizza place just right around the corner, and there's another restaurant kind of the other direction. Be easy to find. The group of us went out, and uh, the pizza place wasn't immediately obvious, but I thought I knew how to get there. Uh, but then another member of the group uh, was very confident of some different direction to get to a pizza place. And so we dutifully followed, because they seemed like they knew what they were talking about. And we did find a pizza place eventually. We sure did. But after many, many streets and twists and turns, I began to lose hope that we would find any pizza at all. We did, in fact, find a pizza place, and it was delicious. We had a pepperoni pizza and a margarita pizza. You know, the mozzarella cheese, tomato, basil, that pizza, always fantastic. A couple of beers for everybody. It was a good, relaxing afternoon. We, re- you know, it wasn't American-style pizza by any means, uh, but it was for Americans who had been eating uh, mostly falafel and hummus. It was nice to have a pizza and a beer. Uh, I really hit the spot that afternoon. The problem, though, with this other pizza restaurant was that we were now deep within the old city of Jerusalem not really near the hotel to go back to. I couldn't have found my way back to the hotel. So instead of going back to the hotel for a much-needed nap, we ended up shopping. And, you know, it's one of those things, since it happened, I'm glad for the adventure. Uh, We went through the fortunately not crowded, but definitely narrow streets, um, all the shops and vendors and people calling out to you. It wasn't as chaotic as it could have been. This is definitely the off-season, so things were pretty merciful. But it was delightful, because all the shops were open, festive colors everywhere, vendors, who knows what in the shops, art, trinkets, t-shirts, um, gold things, who knows what else. You know, all, all that you can possibly imagine laid out there in this eastern market. Um, it was fascinating to walk through. I didn't have a whole lot that I was shopping for, so I was mostly just enjoying it, um, helping other people pick things out. It was a lot of fun. Glad we did it. Uh, But it took probably another two hours. So by the time we got back to the hotel, it was almost five o'clock. So napping was kind of a bust. So instead, me and some of the group members 
got a bottle of whiskey that was still in need of working on uh, and sat out on one of the patios and just kind of looked over the city while the sun set, uh, waited for what was coming up next. It was not a nap, but still a, a relaxing activity to kind of slow down, talk about the day, talk about what had been going on. Um, if we couldn't take a nap, if a nap wasn't possible, it was definitely the next best thing. What was happening in the evening that we had to be prepared for, or not prepared for, but that we were moving on towards, was a holy hour in Gethsemane. Remember that Christ says to the apostles, could you not wait one hour with me? Well, this was a chance to go and wait one hour in prayer. So after dinner at the hotel, we got back on the bus, not everybody, but most of us, and went back to the Church of All Nations, where we had had Mass, I think, two days before. The church that is built on or over uh, the rock where Christ wept, where he prayed, where he, uh, the angel visited him, where he said, you let this chalice pass from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. The place where he was praying when the apostles couldn't stay awake, we did do a holy hour, and I did stay awake. I was genuinely worried, um, given my lack of a nap in the afternoon, if I would be able to stay awake, but uh, I certainly was. And it was a very good hour of prayer. Very good. Uh, I had a chance to do some journaling about you know, the morning when I had Mass in the Holy Sepulchre, uh, the thing I definitely wasn't expecting to do. And then reflected on the pilgrimage somewhat in general. And uh, kind of a thing that I've been noticing, and this was not surprising in a way, that we were seeing so many excellent things, but I wasn't being able to to dive into it spiritually as, as one would hope, which is not, um, I might say, out of the ordinary in a way. Um, it's something I need to work on, but your know, priest life is so busy, we often go from thing to thing to thing, and at least I am not as good as I should be at soaking in the moment. I'm always moving on to the next thing, moving on to the next thing. And so the pilgrimage, you know, I think I've mentioned it before, um, it was parish work, parish work, parish work, get in the airport, arrive at the pilgrimage. So I didn't even have as much time as I would have liked, as would have been good, to rest myself and prepare for the pilgrimage. That is what it is. So in this holy hour, I was praying with that idea of, you know, Lord, I know this hasn't been um, all that it could be in a way. Um, you know, maybe I, I'm looking for this to be spiritually fruitful, perhaps more afterwards than it has been exactly in the moment. And that's okay. Sometimes life is that way. We don't appreciate things until later when we look back at them. So that's my prayer as I'm going into most of this holy hour. And then I sort of finish the hour uh, with evening prayer. And God works in these kinds of ways. He does funny things like this, where the antiphon for the Canticle of Mary for evening prayer was one of the a favorite line of mine. If you desire holiness, God will satisfy your longing, good measure, and flowing over. I just spent 45 minutes or so praying in this place of the agony, praying in hope for future fruit from this pilgrimage, that even though in this moment it wasn't, it hasn't always been you know, the deep spiritual experience that it could be in this profound place, that it will bear fruit in the future. And then here is this, uh, here is this antiphon. If you desire holiness, which I have been, God will satisfy your longing, good measure, and flowing over. 
So right there in that moment, in that holy hour, for the Blessed Sacrament, in the place where Christ prayed, God is saying in this antiphon, yes, I hear that you are desiring for this, and I will satisfy your longing, good measure and flowing over. So that seemed to be a very direct affirmation of my prayer from God, him saying, yes, I hear what you're what you're asking for. I hear that you want this to be a great spring for the future. So yes, I desire to answer that prayer. So uh, now I'm thinking, yep. now being in this moment where I am, that not if God will make good fruit from this, but rather what will that be? What will the satisfaction of my longing, what will the good measure and flowing over be from this pilgrimage. And I think I have some, some sense of what that is turning into, um, but it will take, uh, I don't want to jump too quickly. You know, sometimes we jump like, okay, this is what God means. And here we go. And great. That's the answer. Sometimes it takes a little bit longer uh, and I want to be patient and let things develop as they will. But I certainly uh, am having a sense of what God meant, what he means by giving me that grace. It seems like there are some things, uh, some questions I've been asking about um, discernment of priest life, not to be a priest or anything like that, but you know, discernment doesn't stop at ordination. So there's always a question of, you know, God, what are you calling me to be, to do in my priesthood now or in the future? What, what kind of priest for the future are you calling me to be? And I think it sure seems that in this pilgrimage, in that, satisfy my long and good measure and flowing over, there will be a kind of answer to that question. Um, I don't want to say what it is right now, uh, lest I presume to understand all that God meant, um, but I think the grace of this pilgrimage certainly is going to be a good measure flowing over. So that was day seven. Um, perhaps I think I got everything that was significant. Uh, it is a few days hence now with lots of traveling and that in between, but um, it was... Again, one more day of an amazing pilgrimage. And so, um, continue to know of my prayers. Please pray for me that this will be fruitful and overflowing for all of us that went on this pilgrimage, that uh, we may be, continue to be blessed by this wonderful experience. And certainly, if you listen to this, know that um, a pilgrimage is a wonderful thing that, if you have the chance, uh, do take advantage of it. There'll be one more day of this, one more uh, day to conclude up the adventure. Um, day eight of the pilgrimage and then all the way up to arriving back in Oklahoma. I should uh, hopefully record that soon and uh, hope you enjoy it. Pray for us and I'll pray for you. God bless.